We'll be reading verse from Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. For everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven, time to be born, time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Now the New Testament reading from Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But what do you say? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven." And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. I was really tempted to go nostalgic on you to introduce this unusual message. The boomers in the group probably would have gotten the kick out of it. Um, I'm not sure about the rest of you. However, I had a blast watching the YouTube video of Turn, Turn, Turn. The Pete Seeger hit made popular by them in 1965 that is based nearly entirely on today's scripture text. But deciding that discretion is the better part of stupidity, I opted not to lead off with the music video. You can Google it for yourself, uh, particularly if you remember those days and want a blast from the past. The preacher, as he identifies himself, In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the writer here of this fascinating book of the Bible, he makes plain in chapter 3, verse 1, the main point of the seven verses of poetry that follow and that Jason just read. 
Ecclesiastes 3, 1. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. That's true for you individually. That's true for households. It is true for nations. And it is true for churches, including ours. Some of you are wondering what happened to Genesis. We'll go back, Lord willing, next week. But I have prepared today a one-of-a-kind message. I've been pondering it for a while now. And I need you to understand its difference. I don't intend to unpack the biblical nuances of Ecclesiastes 3. I will refer to it throughout this message, but I'm not going to treat it with my normal exegetical approach. Let me explain. Some time ago, in our Thursday morning elder succession planning meetings, we were having a conversation relative to this whole important process, and I felt constrained uniquely by the Spirit to give an overview, as I understood it, about the life and times of Orlando Grace Church. And I sensed that God was doing something. I had particular interest as I surmised the nonverbal of the fellow elders. Everybody was locked in on what I was saying. And when I, I felt like God was doing something. And when I finished, they were all very thankful for the perspective that the Lord allowed me to bring. And one of them, I think it was Will, said, that needs to be a message on Sunday morning at some point. So I have chosen today to do this. I thought about, if indeed Lord willing, Jim is called the pastor here, that maybe it would be my farewell message. Just felt constrained that it needed to be today's message when we prepared to have this significant congregational decision about our fourth lead pastor. My take is that God has worked in five distinct phases over our 26-plus year history. In all, he has shown himself to be a Psalm 115.3 God. Our God is in the heavens. He does all he pleases. 
if we might wave a banner over the times and seasons of Orlando Grace Church based upon what God's word reveals about the character of God, I would say sovereignty. He is ever and always in control. He is always working out his purposes. He is never caught by surprise. He does all things well, and he works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8:28. Now, I'm aware that this is a bit risky because there are people here who've been at Orlando Grace longer than I have, and I thank God for every one of them. You might choose different ways of describing things. I get that. But I've landed on these five. Planting, clarifying, healing, suffering, influencing. Planting, clarifying, healing, suffering, influencing. Season one, planting our church. Ecclesiastes 3.2, there is a time to plant. That season started back in the fall of 1991. The result of two years of concerted prayer by two men. The goal plant a church built on the solid rock of the solas of the Protestant Reformation and the doctrines of grace where Christ would be exalted in worship and first things first would always prevail. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered to you that which is of first importance. Christ died according to the scriptures. He was buried and on the third day raised according to the scriptures. The gospel of grace would be faithfully preached. The first service on November 3rd, 1991 drew 50 people, 5-0. A founding pastor was called. The London Baptist Confession of Faith was adopted as the church's statement of faith. Bylaws were put together. The church was incorporated. A structure was created. Quite uniquely in my mind, 20% of the offerings from the get-go went to global missions. And Orlando Grace got off to a good start. In just a few years, it grew to some 300-plus people. A real estate transaction off of Keller Road for probably seemed a lot at the time, but only $290,000 for 15 acres. Forward-thinking people purchased a piece of property that might well have become 
our church home, but then through God's sovereign share and worship, the story that is later about this place brought even greater fortune to us. Such a good start. But a season that started so well ended so traumatically five years later with our first church-wide conflict. And I'm not going to say much about it. I was not here. This predated me. I only know what I have been told. So I'm careful in choosing my words here. And I want to be charitable as much as possible. But chalk it up to a theological shift by our founding pastor, as I understand it, that was deemed a significant departure from our orthodox moorings. And the consequences were excruciating. That pastor resigned. Many of the people left. I think there was even some question about the wherewithal of continuing, but a core, committee core, found strength in waiting upon the Lord and he renewed their strength. A time to plant. Season number one. Season two, clarifying our identity. There is a time to embrace and refrain from embracing. Verse five. Now, I know a lot about how season number two ended. I had arrived by then. I served on staff as a part-time lead worshiper. I was much in the thick of it when that season ended with our second traumatic conflict in our history. But most of those five years predated me, so I'm measured here, all right? But I, I think I have something of an idea. We call the second pastor, my predecessor, a dear friend, Tim Vanderman, in 1997, we added an associate pastor. A bunch of new elders came on. Things got rolling again. We moved to rent from the Seventh-day Adventist church right up the street, which was our home for over a decade. Now, let me be quick to say again that others who were a part of that might choose a different way to label it. So please don't send me an email if you're one of them, all right? This is my best take. From where I sat as a part-timer and a confidant to Tim, given the fact that I had been in pastoral ministry before for quite some time, I landed on seeing those days as leadership attempting to get on the same page about our identity. What kind of church really are we and where are we going? And, and the, the best example I have about that, I'll never forget this. We had a sign out front for, 
for quite some time of the SCA, Orlando Grace Church, and renting or um, pilgrims, sojourners. Nobody knows about you if you don't have your own facility. So it had to be a way of identifying Orlando Grace Church. And then up in the right-hand corner was a, a, a whited out words that said a Reformed Baptist congregation. They had been painted over. But you could still read them. I thought, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder what that's all about. I cite that, and I don't know how that all happened. I'm just saying that was an evidence to me, hmm, we're trying to figure out who we are. Now, I am not naive. I have You know, I've pretended to be something of an expert. I've written a book on peacemaking in the church. I know that when conflict happens, there are multiple layers. There are multiple things going on. But I do know that there were long, late-night, excruciating meetings into the wee hours of the morning wrestling over these questions of philosophy of ministry and direction until things imploded clarifying our identity was a good bit of what was going on. And in the result, Amos 3.3 was more than validated. And I want to depart from quoting endlessly the ESV and quote from the New Living Translation. Shocking. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction. No, they can't. And a group of elders can't either. And oh, I want to say to you, what an extraordinary gift it has been to me as the third teaching pastor in this church's history for the uncommon unity on the board of elders and accompanying servant board of deacons that we have enjoyed ever since then. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? No, they can't. And though all parties reconcile, and we acknowledge this every September with a conciliation anniversary message on peacemaking, every party reconciled, thanks to Peacemaker Ministries and a conciliation retreat, that I still hold as one of the most significant events that I was a part of in my tenure at Orlando Grace. Though everyone was reconciled, the disagreement was so sharp, so mindful of Paul and Barnabas in, in Acts, who had a conflict over John Mark and went separate directions. Most everybody in key leadership at that time parted ways. It was a time to refrain from embracing. But God had a faithful core. Remained embracing. They were called servant leaders. We dubbed them directors. Four guys that stood in the gap after that conflict. And they approached me at that conciliation retreat and said, would you consent to being an interim pastor for one year, help stabilize the shift? I was selling door and trim 
in a local lumber yard. I dubbed it Potiphar's Prison. It sounded like Pharaoh's palace to me, so I said, sure. About nine months into that, those same men came to me and said, Pastor Kurt, retired of the interim label, what will it take for you to become our third pastor teacher? And I said, I need to know that we have alignment. You don't want what happened happen again? I certainly don't want that. And they said to me, what will it take for you to put something in writing to help us know where you would want to go? I said, maybe a week in private, solitude, writing up something. I said, you not. They immediately said, when do you leave? And I went to North Carolina for a week, put together about a 20-page philosophy of ministry paper. I threw in as an extra, no charge, Operation Nehemiah, a plan for rebuilding the walls of Orlando Race. Jim referenced that in the Q&A last week. Nine goals for rebuilding the walls at Orlando Race. Brought that back. Team of people was put together. I was vetted with the same and perhaps even more, given some challenging aspects of my history, same kind of question and answer by the elders and extended group and the people as a whole. It seemed fitting to God's people that I would be called to be the third pastor teacher, and I was installed in 2004. There is a time to plant and a time to clarify. Season three, healing our wounds. I know a lot about this one and number four because they've been my watch. There is a time to heal and build up. Ecclesiastes 3.3. We, we virtually started over from scratch. You know how you have to reboot your hard drive sometimes when things just kind of lock up? We did a church reboot by God's grace. For a while, I was the only elder. Those directors served so well in accountability to me and administrative support. But we set out on a 10-year healing, rebuilding effort to restore church health. And we accomplished a great deal by God's grace. We eventually reformed elder and deacon boards. We overhauled a major undertaking, our mission, vision, and values documents. And that turned into our Discover OGC newcomer welcome class, which I began yet another edition of here today. But some people I found absolutely remarkable. It's just so common to hear your pastor's leaving on all livelihood. I don't have any interest. I had a group of people in that room, even though they know that's true. Convinced enough, they still need to figure out what's going on here because maybe God still wants me here. That the value is more than about who's in this role. And I started the class as I always do. I am not the senior pastor here. I'm a pastor teacher one of a number of elders, Jesus is the senior pastor of every church. 
whether a lead pastor knows it or not. You know, if you guys vote, covenant members, if you vote Jim in, and he reports August 1 and begins to do this ministry, that very day he becomes an interim pastor. He will have his season, his lifespan. I hope it's a long and prosperous and fruitful one. But nobody knows. There will come a time where the baton will be passed from him to someone else, Lord willing, as the church proceeds, because Jesus is always there for his church. We strengthen ties with Reformed Seminary and other like-minded churches. We established a community group ministry, and we built this facility and opened it in 2012. The only thing we did not accomplish, and it was not for lack of effort, and Jim pointed this out in the Q&A last week, was affiliation. With whom do we partner in a more official way? I do hope that that will get accomplished before too long. And most significantly, in my mind, we've worked hard at cultivating a culture of peace. I set out on my watch, if I could possibly affect it, we would not undergo another church-wide conflict where some one-third or more of people left. We have not been conflict-free. Not by any means. We've had some really hard things, but we have not melted down. We have not suffered what we've suffered before. God's been kind to guard the peace and purity of Orlando race. And just so we're absolutely clear, succession has been my initiative. I have not once felt pushed out. I have not once felt from my fellow elders that I'm incapable or lacking or some way must move aside. It has been my goal from the moment I embraced the responsibility that someday I might have the privilege of overseeing with the help of many others a baton pass in peace. And a combination of things has assured me and I'm dead sure today. We are right where God wants us. I'm so proud of you all for the way you've navigated change of this nature, one of the most significant things that happens in a church's life. Who would have known that the whole peacemaking thing would have turned into a book? (laughs) You know, one of the hardest things is that thing's going to come out in November and I'm not likely to be here. The book is dedicated to you. The dedication to the members, to the covenant members of Orlando Grace Church. Thank you for being eager to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. First books are usually dedicated to some family member or mentor. There was only one way to dedicate the peacemaking church to all of you. You know, you might imagine with this 
succession thing looming on the horizon for Jan and me, I've done a lot of reflecting. Somebody asked me today, sorry to hear that you'll be leaving. I said, you know, it's a bittersweet thing because I feel loss. Even just realizing I have maybe not that many more times to look upon you this way. I love you. I've, I've, I've done that with mixed results, but I love this church. I love to get to do baby dedications. I'll be at the hospital tomorrow morning if you'll have me to pray for you. Hospital visits are such a great part of being a shepherd. I came to Fripps quite some time ago with, you know, Mary gave me uh, Don Carson's book, Memories of an Ordinary Pastor. Jim mentioned that last week, too. I'm, I'm reading that. I've finally gotten around to reading it. I think he gave it to me 18 years ago. <laughs> it was a long time. It's been very meaningful to me at this time. And if I may quote from the book, Carson says early on, most of us, let us be frank, are ordinary pastors. I gave up delusions of Frazier a long time ago. It's a normal guy, gutting it out in the trenches, week in and week out, trying to love people and faithfully preach the Bible. And that's been okay. But I will say this. I have never once doubted that I was the man that God wanted. Given my gifts, my experience, my heart, my passions for this healing time. Lots of ways I feel like I've fallen short. But binding up wounds and trying to help us become healthy has been something that I have felt has been my thing to do. And I'm so grateful for my stewardship here. But I tell you, I never would have dreamed that the Lord would have gained for me the fourth and last of my seasons. Suffering our losses. There's a time to plant, time to clarify, time to heal. There's a time to weep and mourn. Ecclesiastes 3 4. When I came through Operation Nehemiah and felt like, okay, that took a whole lot longer than I thought it would take, but. Operation Nehemiah, affiliation notwithstanding, is done. Let's go for Operation Jeremiah, blessing the city. I so wanted to finish strong with helping us gain traction on our mission to the city and our evangelism and discipleship. And there were some initiatives, not as many as I would have liked, but some, but we just never seemed to gain much traction. And much of that had to do with God's sovereign ordaining of this fourth season for me, which became by identification and connection a season for you of suffering, pain, and loss. And I'm having trouble of fixing the timetable. Started on January 18, 2014, when I had come home 
from overseeing Kevin Wilhoit's ordination examination, pulled into the garage, Nancy came out of the kitchen. I saw the distress in her eyes. I said, what? She said, come in. Walked through the door and she said, Josh is dead. Threw off my jacket, threw it on the floor and collapsed. <laughs> Nobody should have to bury a child. I had no idea the season that that was about to initiate in our lives. You never fully recovered from that loss. That race is great. Race is greater, as I said many times, but it marks you. Please don't ever tell anybody when are you going to get over it. You don't. You do move on. You get to acceptance. But I hate January. Before the year was out, Nancy started bleeding. MRI revealed stage 3B ovarian cancer, what they call the silent killer because you don't know you have it. Surgery removed all visible signs of the disease. She fought bravely and resolutely. For 18 months, I watched her die in front of my eyes. Those last six months especially, grief upon grief. I'm not fond of the month of May either. <laughs> in the middle of that excruciating season, May of 2015, my jaw disintegrated. I learned a new word from an oral surgeon, osteonecrosis. So what is that? I, I should know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Greek scholar. <laughs> Osteobone necrosis death. Bone death by radiation, the consequence of the treatment for my tongue cancer in 05. All of a sudden, I'm about to become very familiar with Miami. February 2016, eight hours on the table for a jaw transplant. November of 2016, six and a half hours on the table for a bone graft to rebuild the mandible, three weeks with my jaw wired shut. March of 2017, two weeks before my wedding, to the gift of God sent to me for my comfort and encouragement in the midst of the season of suffering and loss. Hip debridement because the wound had opened up, not become infected, but inflamed. That healed up, and then we were on to another procedure in Miami 
in August of 17 for the positioning of titanium implants. February of 18, healing post-placement surgery and what I thought finally was permanent teeth on April 26. Turned out not to be the case because they're having problems of fishing the teeth and somehow I may have swallowed a screwdriver in the process. I can't do anything simply or easy. You'll be happy to know that the x-ray came back negative. They didn't find anything. So thank God there was no tool in my abdomen. <laughs> so why rehearse this? And I, you know, talked to Jan last night. How am I not going to have this sound like a pity party? Whoa, is Pastor Kurt. I'm trying to give you some context about why I, among other reasons, have felt like succession is now. I don't think I know the wear and tear physically, emotionally, and spiritually this four years has had on me. The great joy of Jan notwithstanding. But I'm certain that it's had its impact. There's part of me that just feels like, though reasonably healthy, other than what I've gone through with my jaw, there just isn't the wherewithal. And it's not fair to you. But more importantly, and I hope that this makes sense, my loss and suffering and pain by identification has been yours. You didn't as much lose Josh, but you did through me. You definitely lost Nancy. Some of you even more than others because of your relationship with her. Seems like every time we try to get back up and build momentum again, we would get knocked back. They have been your losses as a community. The Psalm 115.3, God has sought to refine us through the fires. Are we the better for it? I, I trust we are. I'm, I will never forget. I had just come back from the jaw implant surgery. I had preached two messages in Job and Nancy died. And the elders granted me 12 weeks bereavement leave, which I needed every single one of them. And I remember stopping by an elder meeting shortly after that to thank them for that and how bad I felt that I had missed so much for my jaw. And now I was having to be tanked out again for the loss. And Ted looked at me and said, what God has been teaching us through the way he's helping you go through this, you could preach a thousand sermons and it would not be the same impact. I really hope that's true. 
and all glory to God to any degree that it has been. My prayer through all of that was, Lord, please don't let me sin with my lips. I wanted Job 121 to be written across all of that. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Soli Deo Gloria. Any success to that end. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Planting our church, clarifying our identity, healing our wounds, suffering our losses. Five. Can I cast this vision? Will you hear me? Influencing our city. There is a time to seek, a time to keep. Verse 6. If we are not to die, and plenty of churches do, they run a life cycle and close their doors, we must embrace for this next season a vision for an execution of a strategy for blessing, reaching, influencing the many people Jesus has yet for his flock here in Central Florida. Actually, it's time to seek the welfare of our city. Jeremiah 29.7, we must resist the inevitable temptation to hoard in our holy reformed huddles and engage, like our mission statement says, and become a far better disciple-making church. You have an opportunity to make disciples of children. In Chuck and Pam's class, you have an opportunity to be disciple-making people in the places where we live, work, and play with Mike and Kevin's class. I commend both to you. It's time to keep the best of all that we've rebuilt, our confession, our love for one another, our perseverance, our peacemaking, and more. But church, let's seek the welfare of our city. And as for me and my house, I'm absolutely convinced that God has raised up Jim Davis and has answered a prayer I've been praying for years. Now you must vote, like I said in my Eno's article, your conscience and your conviction. I would never tell you how to do that any more than I'll ever tell anybody what presidential candidate to vote for. His will be done. But I shouldn't be more excited about the prospect for the future of Orlando Grace in passing the baton to a man of this substance and heart. And here's probably the main reason. I think Jim is enough like me in terms of temperament, personality, philosophy of ministry, that the change that will be there won't be as significant as it could be. But he's enough unlike me in terms of his gifts and his passion and his equipping to take you into the next season. I think that's huge. I look at that as a gift that God has given us in a scant 
four months instead of the typical 18 months to two years that it takes. It has not been God's will for me to take us there. I hope and trust it is God's will for Jim to do that pending your confirmation. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let's take that to the back as we head into the fifth season in the life and times of Orlando, Grace Church.